My friend Howard Cole is pastor at our sister church in Goose Creek. It's called Metro North. Howard's real hip and he's real cool. He's from California. What else comes from California? But he told me about a video that he was actually showing his congregation last Sunday morning. But I'm not hip and cool like Howard, so I can't show you the video. I can only describe it to you. A YouTube video that has almost five and a half million views. In this video, a father is filming his two daughters. The younger daughter says to the older daughters, just close your eyes and and fall down. So the older sister obeys. She crosses her arms and she closes her eyes. And then the younger sister takes her position behind her older sister and stretches out her arms, ready to catch her when she falls. The father says, Lauren is going to catch you. Okay. This is called the trust fall. Okay. Trust fall. Ready, set, go. And the older sister falls forward. (laughs) And there's this shocked look on her younger sister's face. And she bursts in laughing, realizing that nobody bothered to tell the sister which direction to fall. They assumed she knew. Now, I don't want to make that assumption this morning. I don't want to assume that we know the right direction to fall. Because there's only one direction that you and I can fall if we are going to have rest in our lives. And that is to fall into the arms of our immense and our eternal Father. He wants rest for his people. And the only way that we will ever experience that rest is taking the trust fall into the arms of God. So this morning, we're taking a break from the intensity of the battle talk of Deuteronomy 20 for a little R&R, some rest on this Labor Day weekend. That's the spiritual reason. Uh, The practical reason is so many of our church family, our soldiers are gone, and I don't want them to miss out on the rest of this series from Deuteronomy chapter 20. But I do pray that as we come this week to Ephesians chapter 3, that you and I will find the rest that the Lord has for us. So if you have your Bibles with you, if not, there should be one in the pew in front of you. Turn to Ephesians chapter 3. And when you found your place, I'm going to ask you to stand as we hear read together the word of the living God. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. This is the word of the Lord. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we pray this morning that you would overwhelm us with your word. Overwhelm us with the reality, Lord, that we hold in our hands this morning. The words spoken, inspired by you, the one and only true and living God. Overwhelmed, Lord, that you have preserved this word through centuries and millennia so that we can still hear your voice speaking to us today. So we pray, O Spirit of God, that you would open our ears to hear your truth, open our hearts to receive your truth, enable us to be people, Lord, who willingly take that trust fall. So we pray that you would do this in us and through us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. You can be seated. 
This past Friday, about 15 of us from here at Redeemer went to MUSC to serve lunch to about 100 international students. It was their fall kickoff for the International Student Department programs, and we were there to to serve them. We've been doing these lunches for about 10 years now. And out of that has developed the, the I Speak ministry. Kurt Brewer gathers people every other Tuesday, takes lunch down to the campus, and has conversational English with the internationals. And then, of course, you all know about our annual a chili cook-off and square dance that we have for the international students. So many or most of you all have participated in some of these events we have for the students. And no matter which event you may have participated in, you realize when you are talking with an international and an international is talking with you, the biggest challenge is obviously communication trying to find the the correct word to express your thought, pronouncing it carefully, choosing a different word when the first word you chose just draws this blank stare. But it's frustrating because both speakers want to be understood. I believe that this is Paul's frustration as we come here this morning to, to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Not only is Paul in physical chains, because he's writing this letter from prison where he is in chains. But I think he's also in linguistic chains. The Greek language just doesn't provide the words that Paul needs to express what he wants to communicate about God. He wants to get us to the heaven of God and the glory of God, but words can't express either one adequately. So this comes out. Now to him was able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that's at work with us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Dr. Alexander McLaren, he's a, a famous Scottish preacher and scholar from the 19th century. He writes about this verse. He says, the exuberant fervor of Paul's faith as well as his natural impetuosity and ardor comes out in the heaped-up words expressive of immensity and duration. And that's what Paul is struggling to communicate, not only to the Ephesians, but to you and me this morning. The enormity and the immensity of our Father. Enormity, immeasurably more. Eternity, throughout all generations, forever and ever. Enormity, eternity. That's what you and I are falling into when we take the trust fall. It's why we can rest. Because our God is enormous. He is immense. Immeasurably so. That's the word Paul uses here. God is immeasurable. And it's in relation to the power and the ability of God. Both of them, both God's power and his ability are beyond our capability of measuring. We we can't do it. We can't quantify it. We certainly can't control or tame the power of God. It's a word of excess, of superabundance, of fullness that overflows the set boundaries. Whatever that boundary is, a cup, it overflows. A plate, it overflows. A river, it overflows. It's more than can be contained. And once Paul establishes this superabundance, the power of God, And the ability of God, then he calls on his readers and he calls on you and me to make a comparison between God and his immeasurable power and his thoughts and his ways 
compared with ours. And what do you think Paul will believe the conclusion of that comparison will be? That God is so much bigger than we are, right? You and I know that. We know that God is bigger. But every day of our lives, we have to continue to make that comparison. Or the truth that's contained in these verses is not going to have an impact on our lives. How we live, how we think, how we pray, or how we rest. Because we are measuring people. You and I, we measure all the time. Inches, feet, yards, miles, pints, quarts, gallons, ounces, pounds, seconds, minutes, hours, pennies, nickels, quarters, dimes, days, weeks, years. All day long, every day, you and I are measuring. We're calculating. Because we want to determine where we stand in relation to the world around us. Am I taller or shorter than those around me? Are there more inches or fewer inches around my waist than those around me? Or my biceps? (laughs) You didn't have to laugh. (laughs) Have I lived more years or fewer years than those around me? And what impact does that have on what I want to accomplish in my life? How does the square footage of my house compare with the square footage of someone else's house? Is the price I paid for my car in the acceptable range of, of, of everybody around me? So you and I are measured to wire, to, to, to me, we are wired to measure so that we can compare. And then you and I set goals based upon those measurements. Okay, okay I want to be as thin as fill in the blank. So I'll go on a diet. I want to be as buff as fill in the blank, so I'll work out harder. Okay, I want to have a house as big as fill in the blank, so I'll work harder to climb the corporate ladder or I'll go back to school and get a a higher degree. Okay, I want to look as young as fill in the blank, so I'll buy some wrinkle cream and then maybe consider a facelift. That's what we do. We measure so we can compare. Then we set goals based on what we think we can achieve to be in a better place in comparison to those around us. So the purpose of this verse is to show you and me as believers in Christ that this is no way to live our lives. This is no way to to limit our lives. The purpose of this verse is to get us to distrust ourselves and where our measurings take us. And this goes counter to our culture. That's secular humanist that says, trust yourself. Teach us to say, if it is to be, it's up to me. And we start training our children at a very early age to trust themselves. When my children were young, they got the video Thumbelina. Anybody seen Thumbelina? Thumbelina? Seen that one? Nobody seen it? 1994, Thumbelina. Giacomo is the bird, the swallow, and he's trying to encourage poor lost Thumbelina. So he sings her this song. You're sure to do impossible things if you follow your heart. Your dreams will fly on magical wings when you follow your heart. North or south, east or west, which direction is the best? You don't need a chart to guide you. Close your eyes and... Look inside you and always follow. See, we're funny. We, we, we think that 
the leaders of Hitler Youth were the only ones that did that mental conditioning. But look at the messages that go into our children's minds over and over and over again, and then those children grow up to become adults who make decisions. How? Looking inside, trusting their hearts, trusting their own imaginations. Why is that such a bad idea? What's wrong with trusting ourselves and looking at our hearts? here's Here's the problem. The poison of sin. Listen, the poison of sin went to work on the human mind in the Garden of Eden. And sin rendered the human mind unable of making the best decisions, unable of making the best thoughts, or to imagine the best things. Sin caused imaginings that were wrong in Adam and Eve, imaginings such as God is jealous of our knowing too much. God is afraid that we might become like him, and that's why he has forbidden us to eat that fruit. Wrong thoughts. That's what come from our minds. And the more sin increased, the stronger its influence on our thinking and imagining. And so it makes you and me imagine wrong things. It makes us imagine small things and meager things. And wrong thoughts and small thoughts and meager thoughts produce what? Meager deeds. And so how merciful then of God to work in us according to his imaginings and not our own. How merciful for God to say to us, be it unto you according to my word instead of be it unto you according to your words or your thoughts or your imaginings. God isn't spiteful. He doesn't say, well, you ask for little, fine, receive little. You imagine little, fine, live in the meagerness of your own imaginings and nothing more. Now, thank God that he works in our hearts and that the advance of his kingdom is not dependent on what you and I can think up or imagine. Earthbound rules and earthbound thoughts and earthbound reasonings do not apply to God. He is immeasurably more. Now listen, the only way for us to break out of the meagerness of our thinking and of our actions is to look at the immensity of God. It's the only action that you and I can ever do in our lives that really is going to change us. And that's looking at the Lord, considering who He is in the vastness of his love, the vastness of his compassion and mercy, the vastness of his justice and his righteousness and his judgment. It all goes together to make God who he is. And that's what changes us. Looking in God, and so that's what Paul considers us to do here. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. So how silly. You know, we bring our measuring tape to God. <laughs> where, where do we begin? We bring our scales to God. They're useless. So we toss them aside. Because God is beyond us. Paul's extreme here. He writes that God can do more than all we ask or imagine. Now maybe most of our thoughts in the course of the day, we say, yeah, I'll scrap those. They weren't much good. Occasionally, you know, you get up in the middle of the night and you write something down and say, oh, I've just written the lyrics to the number one best-selling song. No, well, not so much. 
We do have these imaginings. But then some people, we think their thoughts are really, really good and their imaginations are, are wonderful. C.S. Lewis, the world of Narnia, Aslan, Tolkien, Middle Earth. Now those guys, they have quite an imagination. And their books still sell and, and inspire millions of people and their books have made it to the silver screen where we hire the best CGI artists and to bring them to life on the screen. And you and I are awed often by the end results. But God is more awesome. God is more than we imagine, and God can do more than we think to ask Him. Some people struggle with verses like this one because they question, well, then why doesn't God do more? Why doesn't God use His power more? And we're disappointed with God. We honestly think that that we have carefully measured and calculated exactly what it is that God should do and how he should do it in our lives and in our world, and then that would fix things. We've looked at all the angles, and we're convinced of what is the right way. And when God doesn't perform in our lives, in our church, in our world, as we imagine he ought, then we're tempted to disbelieve a verse like this one. We imagine he doesn't really have the power. Instead, we think that this kind of a God is a God of Paul's own imagination. But if God really is far beyond us, then we must concede that he knows better than we know, that he sees what we cannot see. Why do you ask God for what you ask of him? What's your motivation? Personal gain? Maybe to escape pain or avoid suffering. Maybe you ask for something noble, that God would eliminate poverty or war. Why not, God? Well, we have to put the enormity of the God of verse 20 in its proper context. Will you look back up in verse 11? If you look in verse 11, it speaks there of God's eternal purpose. God's eternal purpose. God is the only one who has the ability to see eternity backward and forward. You and I, we are stuck right here. And we have the ability to go back only a a, a little ways. I was thinking when I was preparing the sermon, how far back can I go in time? How far back can I go with a person who had influence on my life? And that person was my great, great aunt who lived behind me when I was growing up. She was born in 1888, right? So her life had a big influence on my life, and she was influenced by the world of 1888. Some of you here, not many of you, but some of you are older than I am. So let's say you can go back to 1860. Okay, 155 years compared with eternity. Ah, So what? That's not even a little sliver of the time pie and the culture it represents. Certainly not enough time has gone by to qualify us to have better thoughts about how the world should look or what God should do in the world. And we can only guess about the future. But look, God has been on the job. God has been on the job of sustaining this world since he created it. We should give God credit for knowing what he has done, what he's doing right now to bring his plan to fulfillment. So when you and I 
if we'll take that trust fall, we're falling into experienced eternal hands. Eternity. That's another vocabulary problem, frustration that Paul has in verse 21. In addition to trying to communicate the immensity of God, he's trying to communicate the eternity of God. So he writes, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Literally, the Greek reads, to all generations of the ages of the ages. He doesn't know how to express it. You know, you and I have an idea of what a generation is. One generation follows the next. People live, they die, they live, they die. One generation after the other. That's a generation. We understand what an age is, the Pax Romana, you know, the the age of peace in Rome or the Middle Ages, we get that. But all generations of ages and ages. Another example of how Paul is chained to language and limited in his attempt to express eternity to you and to me. And just how long God's purpose, just how long God's power and glory in Jesus and in the church will last for eternity. All generations of ages and ages, none of these will cease to be. And it's this God and his power that's at work in your life, in mine. So we've got to acknowledge that God knows best how to use that power in us and through us. And you and I have to get the place in our lives when we thank God that in his deeper wisdom and his eternal purposes that contradict our desires that he refuses to give us our requests. When we take the trust fall, we've got to realize that God's eternal abundance that he has for us concerns more than the the trinkets of this world. His abundant grace and power are available to us so that we might experience more of Christ. His abundant grace and power making us more like Christ. When we measure and set goals, we limit ourselves to our abilities. But God can do more than we imagine. See, God knows a you, and God knows a me that we can't even imagine right now. God knows a you and me that we might not even be interested in imagining right now. And that's precisely the point It's God's ability in us. And it's God's imagining for us, for you and for me. You know, you might live by this mighty, powerful waterfall. And there it is rushing by you every day. And at first you think, oh, I can can get enough water here to drink. And so you divert just enough water to take a drink. And then you say, you know what? I could divert enough water to irrigate my fields and I could have a great farm here. And so you divert that much water. And you say, hey, I can divert enough water here to hydropower my home. And so you divert enough water to hydropower your home and the rest goes rushing by. And on and on it goes. The abundance of water is there and you are only limited by your ability to think or imagine ways that you can use it. God's power is abundant. And that's good news for us because you and I can't ask for what we can't imagine. You cannot ask God for something that you haven't yet imagined. But God doesn't require us to ask him before he gives to us. What do you imagine Paul's 
imagination and his imaginings were for his own life. A young man, a young Pharisee. What goals did he set for himself in his future? Especially on the day when Paul was standing there and people were putting their cloaks at his feet. They just dropped them there. And they'd taken their cloaks off because they wanted to have a better throw when they picked up the stones to throw them at Stephen and stone him. Because Stephen said to them, look, I see heaven open and the Son of God, Jesus himself, standing at the right hand of God. Paul had an imagining for his future in that moment. Ha, 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 what will I do with my life? Oh, I know what. Perhaps I will gain fame and and reputation for being the most dedicated person in persecuting and even murdering these people who love Jesus. That was Paul's plan. That was Paul's activity. But God has an eternal plan, a different imagining for the reality of Paul's life. One that Paul never imagined, but God imagined it. And so Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, appears to Paul on the road to Damascus and the power of the gospel detonates, boom, in Paul's heart. And Paul's life becomes a life that he never imagined he would live. He becomes a follower of Christ. And not just a follower of Christ, but an apostle. And not just an apostle of Christ, but a missionary planting churches around the world. And not living a life of obscurity, but living a life appearing before rulers and kings. Paul literally could never have imagined it. But God did. And so in the lives of the people of Ephesus... Who could have imagined the impact the gospel would have there? Acts tells us that many people there became believers in in Christ and their lives were transformed and they confessed their sins publicly. They started living for for Christ and it had an impact on the economy. The craftsmen that made those little teeny statues of the goddess Artemis, guess what? Nobody was buying them anymore. Nobody was going to the temple of Artemis anymore or fewer people because they were followers of Christ. And so the labor union there in Ephesus got together and caused a riot. The economy was going to crumble, they feared, because all these people had become believers in Christ. Who would have believed it? Who would have believed that the gospel could change the people of Ephesus in that way? Who would have believed that it could change the culture? Who would have believed that it would impact their economy? But God imagined it. Real change, important change, always is in the heart. And that's where the biggest display of power is needed, right here in our hearts. The Apostle John writes in his first letter, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Right now, this morning, most of you, child of God, What you and I will be has not yet been known. But we know that we'll be like Christ. And we scoff at that thought, don't we? Because you know your heart. And I know my heart. We know the mingling of the good and the bad. We know the contradictions in our own heart. We know that we often don't do what we should do. We leave undone the good that we should do. We know that too often today's resolve, resolved, dissolves by the next day. Ah, but someday, 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 what we will be by the power of God at work within us. 
The same power that God used when he raised Christ from the dead. The Lord Jesus, now in glory, at the right hand of God the Father, enjoying the riches of the gifts he has received from the Father when he ascended on high. That's the pattern for us. This is what it will be by the power of God working within us. God is a God of immeasurable power. What are the implications of that truth in your life and in this church? Paul knows that he's asked for, he's requested a lot in the prayer that precedes this verse, the prayer in verses 14 through 19. I pray that God may strengthen you with his power through his spirit in your inner being. I pray that God may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. I pray that you may know this love that surpasses knowledge. I pray that you may be filled to all the measure of all the fullness of God. Consider the kind of requests that Paul makes on behalf of others and compare those requests to the kind of requests that you make before the Father. And I encourage you to go home this afternoon and study verses 14 through 19, this prayer of Paul, and do this. Imagine what your life would be. Imagine what your life would be if every part of this prayer were answered. See, we can never be fuller than the fullness of God. And the fullness of God can be fuller or more than we ever imagine or limit it to be. And so verse 20 and 21, they're like a doxology slash benediction. A doxology in that they come at the end of, of this passage. And they're words of praise to, to the living God. But they're a benediction. And that when these words were spoken to the people gathered there in Ephesus for church, it would wash over them like this incredible blessing, a blessing of rest and a prayer to take the trust fall into the arms of a God who is immense and eternal, to rest in a God who will do immeasurably more than you ask or imagine. Pray that these verses will have the same impact on us this morning. That you will rest. The future of the world does not ride on your shoulders. Can we agree to that? The future of the world or even the kingdom of God, it doesn't ride on your shoulders. Just because you cannot think of the right thing to ask does not mean that God will not do the right thing in your life. You don't know what to pray for yourself. You don't know what to pray for your spouse. You don't know what to pray for your children. You don't know what to pray for the church or for the city. But God knows. So trust and and take that fall. These words are written to strengthen our faith so that we don't stagger under the weight of changing ourselves. Not to mention staggering under the weight of trying to change the world. God's power does that. 
So you and I rest. God is immense. He can do much more. We should expect him to. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do pray that everyone here this morning would find rest in these words and the truth that you've given to us. Lord, many of us in our lives carry very heavy burdens. We carry around a lot of guilt because we're not the people that we think that we should be. We carry guilt because we're not doing all the things that we think we should be doing. We carry this load, Lord, of a desire and a heart, which is a good thing to change this city for Christ. Father, I pray this morning that you will help us rest in you, to focus on you, your immensity, your eternal nature. Lord, know that you know what's best for us. We can't imagine the best, but you can. And that's what you bring about in our lives. So Lord, all you call us to do this morning is to trust in you, just to let go and to trust that you are in control and that you've got us. And when we fall, you'll catch us. What freedom, Lord, should be ours because of you and what rest. Lord, we just present ourselves to you as instruments for you to use in your way, which will bring about your glory. So I pray that you will help us rest in you because we see you more clearly because we've been in your word together this morning. Our immense and eternal God. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.